Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Corey Walsh Podcast, part of the Extended Cut. Uh, today we're having on the founder of the Big Sports Guy blog. You might know him. He's been on the podcast before. I've been a co-host. His name is Kyle Erickson. And we're going to talk some NFL draft, winners and losers, and discuss the new playoff format. We also get into a little talk in the beginning about NCAA football and Madden franchise mode. So without further ado, let's get Kyle on the line. And uh, thanks for listening. All right, so now we have on the line uh, Kyle Erickson from the uh, Big Sports Guy blog post. Welcome, Kyle. Hey, hey, Corey. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's no problem whatsoever. So, uh, Kyle, uh, you've been telling me as of late that you are pretty much a uh, Nick Saban of the NCAA football world. Yeah, yeah. Quarantine has given me a lot of time to dive back into NCAA 14. Probably my favorite sports game of all time. Broke out the old 360 and fired it back up. And uh, <laughs> we were talking a little bit before we just came on. I, I created a dynasty mode, um, which for those of you who aren't familiar with the game, you can create your own head coach and you pretty much get full control over a college program. And uh, I named my coach Goat Fuente after <laughs> the head coach of Virginia Tech football, Justin Fuente. And the only rule I have on my team is that we don't run any jet sweeps because Virginia Tech has a really awful habit of running jet sweeps every like fourth or fifth play and they never work. So <laughs> I, cre- I created Go Fuente um, to not do that. And in my first six years, I started at the University of Connecticut and won six national championships. So just like the normal just- UConn. Just like the normal UConn, yeah. I don't know what they're doing. It was so easy to win there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then uh, after that, I jumped to Hawaii and, and, and won two national championships there, too. Did you have uh, Dan Orlovsky and Donald Brown on that UConn team? <laughs> I didn't. I the didn't. That would have put us over UConn the top. <laughs> <laughs> Dan Orlovsky is the real GOAT. <laughs> he is a really good announcer. His, like, his an- analysis is usually pretty spot on, which it always seems like it's the average quarterbacks that are the best analyzers. Yeah, yeah, Orvlosky's pretty good on ESPN. Also, Chris Sims has kind of come out of nowhere. Chris Sims um, to me just still rubs me the wrong way. He just gives me this like he sounds like an dick idiot vibe. Like he just seems like yeah. he's so smug. Yeah, yeah, he is. He is a little bit, but he, he's grown his channel too. So you got to give him some credit. Yeah, he definitely has. And for like, I just listened to him actually before we just were on the phone. I uh, was listening to uh, Colin Coward's YouTube channel, and he mm. had him on, and he was just like, he was just talking about how he's been in the quarterback room with like all these other guys. And I'm just like, I don't know, if this is like a brag or like the fact that you've just been like cut by so many other teams that now you've been an opportunity to be in so many other rooms. He's just like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've been with yeah, both I, the Mannings. I've been with Brady. I've I've uh, seen like both sides of the moon here, and for that reason, I could say that Aaron Rodgers is a little prickly. <laughs> yeah, and and I I played with all those people because I got cut from so many teams. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to the GMs for giving me the opportunity to expand my horizons by going to seven hundred teams. I'm kind of like the Josh McCown <laughs> minus the glory. <laughs> Josh McCown minus the glory, and minus his daughter dating Sam Darnold. <laughs> oh. Well, this will actually <laughs> had to bring that one back up. Fantastic segue, Kyle, because I'll talk about my Madden team that I've created. 
Oh, is that, is that what you've been doing in quarantine? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I originally I was going to play all 82 games of 2K as the Cleveland Cavaliers from this season. I've gotten like 50 games in, but believe it or not, playing like 50 games of 2K kind of wears you out at some point. Yeah, because I don't yeah. want to sim it. Because I feel like I I used to sim. 2k like my gm all the time and it's like fun for like an hour and then you're just like you're done because you've simulated like three seasons or so and you're like man i am actually one of the shittiest gms on the planet because you're you're like you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna cut all the veterans who make 10 million dollars plus and i'm just gonna sign a bunch of terrible rookies and hope that they develop and they never do unless you send them to that freaking camp that boosts their potential (laughs) and you only get like two of those so you got you got you got to put force trade on, then it becomes really easy. <laughs> oh yeah, just like <laughs> just pre- make all the realistic aspects of two K go away, and <laughs> just make uh-huh. so I can make a super team. <laughs> yeah, and then simulate the season. <laughs> oh man, I went eighty one and one. That was a failure. All right, let's yeah. restart. <laughs> yeah, but you're right. It just gets so repetitive. After like an hour, you can simulate three or four seasons and you know you haven't actually played anything you you've done everything you wanted to do in the game yeah exactly you're like oh well this is my 20th season of sim and honestly one of my pet peeves i don't know if anyone else is like this but my biggest pet peeve with like all sports games unless you can like download a draft class created by someone else that has real players i hate playing with the generated ones because i feel like no connection to them i'm just like I don't know who they are, so I'm just like, uh, this person doesn't really exist. However, if I have a player that I know and I'm like, I want to make, like, let's say, Tavon Austin a redemption story and have him break the receiving record, I can do that in the game versus some guy named, like, Henry Clark from Tulane. Yeah, some generic auto-generated player. (laughs) Yeah, but see, like, with the NCAA, that makes sense, though, because they're high school players, so they're all supposed to be, like, no-names where, you're like, you don't know what you're going to really get out of them. But, like, when you're playing, like, football, like a... A Madden or a 2K, it's like they're coming in from college, so you would know of them at that time. Right. Yeah, that's actually what made the last NCAA, NCAA 14, so good. Um, it's also what um, is it's uh, it's also why EA can't make the game anymore because um, they made the players very closely resemble the real life student athletes. Like they were the exact same height, the exact same weight, from the exact same hometown, the same year. <laughs> They just, like, switched up the names a little bit, but, like, on the field, they all have the same numbers, so yeah. it's, like, the it's like the exact same players, like, here at Virginia Tech ha- uh, that we had, like, I don't know, six or seven years ago, ho- however old the game is. <laughs> with their same um, exact SAT scores. With, yeah. <laughs> 800. <laughs> <laughs> My kicker was going to be a nuclear engineer until I offered him a fuller scholarship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah, that's another fun thing too though with NCAA is like you can create your own high school recruits. So like for example, um Go Fuente brought in a kicker when I was winning national championships <laughs> at UConn, who I named Kicky McPuntface. <laughs> and he was maxed out everything. So like not only was this guy a ninety-nine overall kicker. But he could also throw the ball, like, 99 accuracy, 99 throw power, 99 <laughs> speed. He was a weapon on special teams. <laughs> An absolute unit. He was a unit. All right, so for Madden, I did, uh, like, a fantasy draft, which I always – I don't understand why you wouldn't pick fantasy draft. I think it combines yeah. the fun of fantasy football really with fun. Madden. And you basically get to start a team from scratch versus trading away stuff. And like picks to acquire what you would originally want. So I did the Eagles 
because you know this is like a honestly a super embarrassing moment for me to share but i think i have some sort of ptsd because i was like i want to pick a team that's never won the super bowl i'm going to go with the eagles and then it took me about my second game and i'm like wait a minute (laughs) i was like the patriots lost to the eagles ah i guess yeah i'm like i guess i blocked that out of my memory (laughs) and a uh, back a back a backup quarterback torched okay well you know what he was a starter afterwards so (laughs) anyway (laughs) true i'll give you that (laughs) he's about to be a starter again um so i took trubisky (laughs) bummer (laughs) <laughs> I can't believe <laughs> not, that didn't Not pan like out. anyone couldn't have predicted that he was going to be a bust. I don't know why. He went to a great D1 school and had a terrible build. Oh, wait. That is the opposite of everyone was saying. <laughs> hmm. Patrick Mahomes or Mitch Trubisky? It's not even that. Like, Mitch okay. Trubisky. So the Matt, the, uh, the, the, uh, Mitch Trubisky, Patrick Mahomes thing, that's a little like out there like in terms of argument. The Deshaun Watson one was right there. Like, Deshaun Watson was the most highly accoladed quarterback going into that draft, and he was, like, not projected above Mitch Trubisky because he had a worse build when the whole league is centered around mobile quarterbacks, and no one's ever been like, you know, Mitch, that white boy can run. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, nobody has ever said that about Mitch Trubisky. Yeah, I mean, you're you're right. Patrick Mahomes needed to learn behind Andy Reid for a year, but the pick is still unexcusable. And Nick Foles is going to be the starter in Chicago, I think. It's just it's so not unfortunate. I was going to say it's unfortunate, but it's really not because it's it was really just, not. It's just it's the really dumbest not. pick ever. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So you're you're the Eagles in Madden. Yeah. So I had the first pick, and I was like, you know, Madden running is probably the worst thing about it entirely, except for the dumb receiver catch thing where you can do a catch on the run, a possession catch, or an acrobatic catch, which is like a one out of one hundred chance, by the way, that it actually works. I. Uh, I decided I'm going to draft two guards. I'm like, I want to run the ball. So I picked Zach Martin and I picked Quentin Nelson. By the way, they're insanely good because of the X, because they're in, have these X factor traits that make them like, so they can just literally pancake people the minute they touch them. And then my uh, one, two punch of Marlon Mack and Austin Eckler can just stroll right through them. But so like, the thing is I'm only playing offense because I don't really want to play defense. I want to have some part of the game, not in my control. So it's more of a challenge. So I'm like, I'll let the computer play defense. So in order to do that, I established that I would draft mostly defense, and then I would work with whatever pieces of garbage I've assembled around the offense. So I think that's yeah, I, I think that's a good strategy. That's how I play dynasty mode on NCAA. I play offense and then I sim the defense. Yeah. So I yeah. Uh, my so I did pick the two guards first, which didn't really go with my uh, direction at all. But it was mostly because like when you get, I was like a late twenties pick, so like all the like key defensive players that had like a superstar trait were gone, like Mika Fitzpatrick and Jamal Adams. I usually like to pick a, a really good corner with my first pick for defense, so I at least know I won't get destroyed in the passing game. So I went with uh, Humphrey from like uh, I think Baltimore. Baltimore, Marlon Humphrey, yeah. Yeah, I went with him, and then I had Eli Apple as my two. Ooh. (laughs) There is a difference between those two players. That's a drop-off. Well, let me tell you, uh, Madden uses the term star very loosely because (laughs) the players that they label as stars, I would not consider them. Uh, The ones that are stars, quote-unquote, I'm saying, on my team, apparently – are um, Leonard Williams, the right end who got traded from the Jets to the Giants midseason because he was that much of a star. Uh, I also, like, this safety Chuck Clark is a star, and he was a 76. 
<laughs> yeah, he is. Uh, he's from Virginia Tech. He's only been in the NFL for two or three years now. Um, I can tell you, he is an absolute prick in Madden. He has denied all my probably. contract extensions. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's ironic because in real life, he just got a contract extension this offseason. I think they gave him three years and fifteen million, something like that. I tried to offer him four million a year. He said no, and they said he was insulted. So then I franchise tagged his ass, and now he's stuck here forever. <laughs> Oof. And then, Sucks uh, for him. <laughs> uh, so, like, I basically built around the defense. Um, I thought I built it somewhat well. I was horribly mistaken. In my first year, I went 8-8 eight and eight because I drafted Sam Darnold as my quarterback because I'm like, I'll develop him into, like, a decent quarterback. They made quarterbacks so much worse in this Madden. I can't make a single decent pass to, like, any receiver that's open if I bullet it with Sam Darnold. It would just be, like, inaccurate, and he throws it into, like, the Gatorade can on the sidelines when I'm throwing like an outside slant and I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> so I didn't, I went eight and eight in my first season. Next season, I started off six and six and I'm like, Oh my God, no, I cannot go eight and eight again. So, but I also, this is where my team got interesting in my second year. Cause I wanted to get one of the, I downloaded the draft class from this past draft and I wanted to take one of the big wide receivers with my first pick. I wanted to take CD lamb, Jerry, Judy, not really rugs. And I landed with rugs. <laughs> okay. I mean, Henry Ruggs is still really fast, though. He added to a sweet wide receiver core of Sammy Watkins, Deontay Johnson, and Adam Humphreys. Let me just tell Oof. you, before you give me any comments, Adam Humphreys was shifted to the Cincinnati Bengals for a third-round pick once I drafted Ruggs. Yeah, I was just going to say that the tradition of really shitty wide receiver play in Philadelphia continues. <laughs> uh, that's a little <laughs> offensive because then in the offseason, I made some really slight upgrades to the wide receiver position. I upgraded uh, Adam Humphreys to uh, Philip Dorsett, <laughs> which was... Is that an upgrade? It actually was, <laughs> like, okay, in terms okay, of the field. Okay. Like, yeah, Philip Dorsett <laughs> had probably the most yards on my team because Sam Darnold can only throw five yards in Madden, apparently. And I also ha wanted to have a two tight end weapons, so I went with um, uh, Hunter Henry and Eric Ebron as my one-two punch, which was pretty fun <laughs> when I got the that's, ball there. Yeah. That's that's pretty that's pretty solid. You just have to keep them within five yards so Sam Darnold can make the throw. Yeah. So in the second round, I also had uh, DeAndre Swift somehow land in my lap, and I was like, "Well, I already have two really good running backs, but I guess I'll take Swift. Maybe like he'll come in when one of them's tired." He never touched the field in his second year. He didn't take one snap, even though I put him as the second string running back. Marlon Mack just like absolutely went off in the season and we lost in the nfc championship after going 10 and 6 so now i'm on the third season and i made my goal winning the super bowl so if i don't win i'll just start a new franchise true true will they will you get fired in franchise mode in madden if you don't win the super bowl yeah that says uh, because i guaranteed it uh my my fire risk is extremely high so i'm kind of forcing Oof. my way out yeah yeah well that, that's okay you can start over fresh somewhere maybe at a franchise who you know <laughs> upgrades the wide receiver position uh, I think I'm just going to make a new fantasy draft to start all over. <laughs> yeah, no, just scrap it entirely. Yeah, so yeah. That's the thing about NCAA football I would like. I would like to just go from one program to another, but I also don't want to have like players that are like on the fringe of retiring just retire, and I don't get to ever use them. Like Tom Brady took two more years to retire, and he won the MVP in Cincinnati, for God's sakes. Wow. I, I think he's going to win the MVP in Tampa. I think that might be a little preview. I really uh... – Hot take. <laughs> <laughs> Smoldering. Because <laughs> the the media totally isn't blowing smoke into Tampa's rear right now. 
<laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they're just going to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> That's it. They're just going to win. <laughs> it's, it's that simple. <laughs> it's a minor thing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right. So I guess it's a good segue for us to talk about uh, the draft. That yeah, Not the fantasy it. draft. The real one. Uh, unlike the one we did with Ian last week, this is going to be like a full draft recap, but we're only picking two winners and two losers each. So, Kyle, I will let you go first to say your first winner. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think pretty obviously the Miami Dolphins are a big winner from this year's oh, draft. Yeah. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you and I both have dads who are, are longtime Dolphins fans, and it's they sad, have been true. bad <laughs> for so long. It's sad but true. Yeah. And Ginty's dad. <laughs> and Ginty's dad, yeah. Noah Ginty, shout out if you're listening. Um, Sorry to quickly no, interrupt. I, mean, um, I feel like most dads are Dolphins fans, I'm coming to find out. I don't know how this yeah. happened, but – it, it seems I think like Dan every, Marino. I think I don't know why, but it seems like every person. I know it's like obviously it would be Dan Marino, but at the same time, like they they're still there, and they had to have yeah. switched to them at some point. Dan Marino wasn't around like in their like teens. It was later, unless depending on what yeah. how old your dad is. Yeah, depending on how old your dad is. Yeah, yeah. It is weird why so many old old men are Dolphins fans, but you know, <laughs> hey. Hey, teach their own. They've stunk for pretty much all of our lifetime. So, like, yeah. I, as long as I can remember, I think the Dolphins have only made the playoffs once, I think maybe th- twice. No, I think three times. Okay, three times that we've been alive, they've made the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty um, impressive number. It always comes up pr- on those graphics. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really impressive. No, but the, the Dolphins, I think, finally have their franchise quarterback into a um, and I, I think like many that it's just a great spot for him. Um, he can sit really for as long as Miami feels like he needs to, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick will, will be a confident quarterback. Um, and also he'll do a lot to help to, uh, just learn how to be an NFL player, his rookie year, you know, learn how to break down film with this guy who went to Harvard, you know, I mean, just let it make sure his hip is fully healed before they throw him in. I, I think it's a great situation. And, you know, I, I thought it was really funny hearing all the smoke screens that the Dolphins were putting out leading up to the draft. It was so agitating. You know, oh, it was so, yeah, I thought it was entertaining. You know, like we heard something leak last week, like, oh, the Dolphins want to trade up to three, but they want to take a tackle. Like, <laughs> like that is the <laughs> like, worst PR I've yeah. ever seen in my life. I know. Like, the Dolphins are ready to throw the house to trade up and get Joe Burrow. Like, do I think the Dolphins liked Joe Burrow? Yeah. Would they have traded up for the right price? Yeah. But Joe Burrow was going to Cincinnati. (laughs) Was any team not interested in Joe Burrow? Maybe. What team was that? Probably Detroit. Probably Detroit. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously Detroit. Matt Patricia's Um, like, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know about that guy. (laughs) I'd rather just take the guaranteed quarter. (laughs) Yeah. No, but the the Dolphins really did a great job landing to it. And then on top of that, with their other two first-round picks, they filled two pretty big needs. Um, at, at 18 in the first round, they took um, an offensive tackle, Austin Johnson from USC. Um, and then at 30, they added a cornerback from Auburn, um, Noah Igbenogbe. I mm-hmm. probably pronounced that wrong. Yeah, <laughs> God, um, you are the worst. That name was so easy. It was a lob. I suck. <laughs> <laughs> I should go, actually. <laughs> You didn't even say to a tag of Iloa. To a tag of Iloa. You could just sound like Roger Goodell and just go like, if anyone's name you don't pronounce, you just like fade off afterwards. Just be like, to a tag of Quarterback, yeah, just Alabama. Fade off at the end. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and switch to my sweater before I do it for my jacket. That was sweater so on my weird. <laughs> we can talk about that towards the end. Yeah. Oh, my God. No, but yeah, I mean, the, on top of the draft, like the, the Dolphins are just really an ascending team, right? Like with their later picks, they, they did a lot to bolster both uh, their offensive line and defensive line. They bolstered their secondary. Um, they, they drafted this guy in the third round from Alabama, Raekwon Davis, who's like six seven, three hundred pounds. And for the last three years at Alabama, he's been graded as one of the best run stoppers in college football. Um, and then, of course, in free agency as well, they they signed Kyle Van Noy away from the Patriots and and Byron Jones away from the Cowboys. You know. Um, the the Dolphins are, are really in, in a great spot going forward and I really Brian like one Fer- of those. You yeah, Kyle Van Noy. No. <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I didn't really enjoy that one. I was referencing more UConn alum Byron Jones. Oh, UConn alum Byron Jones, yeah. No, uh, well I, I just wanted to, to add as well, you know, over the last nine games last season, the Dolphins went five and four. Um, the Patriots, on the other hand, went four and five with Tom Brady. Why does this feel like you know, an attack? I, <laughs> I, I'm just pointing it out. <laughs> Brian, Brian Flores is, is a really great head coach, and, and I think the Dolphins um, are, are building something great long term. I think it's they're still probably a year away from from being competitive, um, being like you know a real threat to, to make a playoff, uh, the playoffs, and make a run, but. You know, I, I love the direction that they're going, and I thought they had a terrific draft. I, I 100% agree with you. I don't want my uh, Patriots saltiness bias to put me aside when I say that the Dolphins are – I don't think that they are the, the team to beat in the AFC East. I still no. think that – I think Buffalo. Buffalo yep. Yeah. But yeah. I do think – I don't. it really does depend on the play of Jared Stidham, I think, as a whole. But I think the Patriots roster is still solid enough to compete with Miami for the second best team in the AFC East. Sorry, Jets fans, your team is still a dumpster fire. But yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> uh, but I also – I think that the two right now – but it's like two different directions depending on how Stidham – overall is and I'm not going to sit here and be like the Patriots and pump up Stidham but I have watched a decent amount of film on Stidham he doesn't look like he'll be terrible if you just go like, oh he threw an interception against the Jets and it was then he got yanked I, I could just be like yeah okay well that was one of four pass attempts he had ever so right it's like it's impossible to tell. sample size I'm yeah. not going to sit here yeah. and pretend the Patriots are going to be a dumpster fire and I'm not going to sit here and pretend that they'll be like 11 and 5 which I have no way of thinking they will be. But I don't know how good the Dolphins can be because these young types of teams either they they're boom or bust. Not every team that accumulates all these young players essentially is good. Let's not forget the Dolphins were basically in this cycle when they had Tannehill, and then they traded away Minka Fitzpatrick, one of their second youngest players for a first round pick who would have definitely been a key piece of this rebuild. Yep. Yep, definitely. I I agree and I don't think the Patriots are in that bad of a position either. Um you know, I, the way I see it, like, however next season turns out, the Patriots are in a pretty good position going forward. Um, you know, they, they made 10 picks in this year's draft. Like, you know, we know that they're kind of uh, hampered by the salary cap right now, but they're going to be a young team. And I think Bill Belichick drafted for their needs, for his system. And, Which he always you know, does. It, he always does. And if Stidham plays well, great. I, I think the Patriots can definitely uh, compete for that second spot in the AFC and you know with seven teams now getting into the playoffs from each conference which you know we'll, we'll get into a little bit more later on um, you know I, I think the Patriots can still be competitive 
And look, on the other hand, if Jared Stidham doesn't work out, then the 2021 draft quarterback class is pretty deep. And the Patriots will have a ton more salary cap space mm-hmm. uh, next offseason. They have like, I think, $26 million in dead money that's on the books this year. They've got a ton of expiring contracts. So, you know, next year might might be a bit of a down year, but I think the Patriots long term are still in a great position. I agree with you. All right, so I am going to go through one of my winners. Uh, I picked the Ravens as one of my winners. I feel like the Ravens winning was a little under the radar because yeah, obviously yeah. teams that are later in the draft, people are like, ah, whatever. Well, here's the thing. Um, for those who don't know, um, the Ravens bolstered. The, they literally, like you would have expected them to pick a wide receiver with one of their first two picks because I would argue their wide receivers are pretty mediocre outside of Hollywood Brown. But they decided to go with stuff they were already pretty strong in only to make them that much more terrifying. <clears throat> they went with Patrick Queen, who is arguably the best linebacker that wasn't Isaiah Simmons in the whole draft with their first round pick. And then they followed it up with J.K. Dobbins, the Ohio State running back. Now, here's the thing. J.K. Dobbins really didn't fill a hole in their offense that they had. They had a pretty solid run game to begin with. But by adding the dangerous threat that Dobbins was supposed to be, I mean, that only makes their offense infinitely harder to stop because they were a run first team and they're now going to just still run the like run the ball the entire game and just hope their defense holds the team down so they basically their defense they added depth and they also added two new offensive linemen to their guards in the fourth and fifth round they also picked a wide receiver in the sixth round named James Prochet from SMU I don't think many people know about him but he is has one of the most like insane highlight reels of a wide receiver you're going to see. He literally is like his scouting combine uh, notes were that he makes viral-esque catches. And once I saw that, I'm like, all right, well, that could just literally be fluff. So I looked at it and uh, yeah, no, he fits up to it. He would be pretty scary uh, if Lamar Jackson becomes a tiny bit more refined as a passer. So overall, the Ravens just added to strengths while not prioritizing their weaknesses, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. I agree with you. I think the Ravens had a really underrated offseason. I think you're right about how good they did in the draft. And also in free agency, people didn't really talk about them. Um, they, They added Calais Campbell to that defensive front, which was already stellar last season. They also added Derek Wolf from the Broncos, who's an underrated defensive lineman. So, you know, and, and if, if Lamar can improve even just a little bit, which, you know, I think it's reasonable for us to expect that he will, right? He's only entering his third season. Mm-hmm. Baltimore can be really competitive again. Um, my only concern with them is just because of the success and the hype that was built last season. Um, you know, they've got a target on their back. Um, teams have, have studied what their offense was doing, and I think – um, you'll see defenses be able to do a better job of containing Lamar Jackson this season. Yeah, it's like the running case quarterback syndrome. It's like yep. the less film you have as a running quarterback, the more if you don't succeed in those early stages, that's more concerning to me. Yeah, yep, because I if agree. you can't succeed with no one knowing how to prepare for you, then how are you going to succeed when people know exactly what you're going to do? The best exactly. quarterbacks have to break through that ceiling of the film being known about you to then improve your game in other aspects to cover the weaknesses that the film showed. Yes. Yep. And and we'll see over the next year, two years, three years, if Lamar Jackson can do that. Um, Cause you know, this, this year, assuming there was a 2020 season, 
this is when he's going to see defenses really, you know, having him figured out. So we'll see, like you said, if he can take that next step and rise above it. But, you know, you're right. Like a quarterback who out the gate can't, you know, when defenses don't know what to expect, if you still can't execute, there are problems. Lamar Jackson's proven that that's not the case with him. All right, Kai, you want to do one of your winners? Sure. Uh, my second winner is the Denver Broncos. Um, you know, Denver also had a really underrated offseason, and in the draft, they just got even better. Um, you know, there's a bit of an AFC West arms race going on right now where, you know, Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, they're, they're going to have the AFC West on stranglehold for a while. Um, but Denver's done a lot to try and at least compete and be a legitimate contender uh, for a wild card spot. Um, you know, to start with what they did in free agency, um, they lost the longtime cornerback Chris Harris Jr., uh, who signed with the Los Angeles Chargers. But in his place, they traded for AJ Boye um, and only had to give up a fourth round pick to get him. Um, they add that an elite corner. They they kind of do need one. It's it's pretty important for the defense. Um, but but they also retain Justin Simmons, the Pro Bowl free safety as well, which is important. And to the defensive line next year, um, you know Bradley Chubb is is going to be back and healthy for the first time since last preseason. And Denver signed Jarrell Casey from the Titans, who's a really underrated defensive lineman. Um, he's been one of the best you know interior linemen for a long time um, in the NFL. And I think, you know, adding him to the defensive front with Von Miller on one end and Bradley Chubb on the other, it's only going to help open up things for all of them. Um, but then through the draft, the Broncos got faster. They got more explosive. They drafted Jerry Judy in the first round from LSU, who, you know, he one of the best, most explosive weapons in this year's draft. In round two, they, they drafted K.J. Hamler from Penn State, who is a speedy deep ball threat. Um, and then we also added more depth, you know, at, at the linebacker position and, and in the secondary and on the offensive line later on. Um, and, you, you know, the biggest piece with Denver, this is something they solved last year, the quarterback position with Drew Locke. He was terrific last season when he played. Granted, he only got in for the last five games of the season, but he was four and one over that stretch. And he showed so much on tape. Like great lip singing. Um, Great. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Great lip syncing. Yeah. But, you know, the, the Broncos are already returning so much talent. Pro Bowl wide receiver Court, Cortland Sutton. Uh, Philip Lindsay's coming off two straight a thousand. A criminally seasons. underrated running back. Right. And, and they're adding Melvin Gordon to that mix. They have Noah Fant, who showed a lot in his rookie season at the tight end position. You know, Denver's a team I don't think they're going to be able to beat out Kansas City. But I think especially with seven teams in the playoffs now, Denver for sure is is, is a, a possible wild card team. And, and I think that they'll be in the playoff picture um, next season. You know, Denver last year starting Brandon Allen for a lot of their games was seven and nine. And five of their nine losses came in just a single score performance. You know, I, I, I think with Drew Locke, really stepping up and emerging as the guy. Um, and with all the weapons that they've surrounded him with, Denver can be a really dangerous team. I 100% agree. So this is going to be a little bit of a funny transition for you. Uh, I'm going to go and reverse a Peyton Mang's career. I, I think the Colts were a huge winner in mm. uh, this year's draft. Yeah. Yep. Um, 
they did this without a first round pick, but I'm going to technically count their first round pick as being DeForest Buckner, a absolutely insane defensive tackle to pick up. And the only reason the, the 49ers didn't dump him because of production, they solely dumped him because of money. And they just did not want to pay $21 million. And then they just ended up trading that. They used the pick that they got from the Colts for Inman, a, uh, another defensive tackle. So basically, they just did it for pure money reasons. Um, but the, for what they actually drafted, uh, their first pick was with Michael uh, Pittman Jr., who um, was probably the highest ascending wide receiver in the week upcoming to the draft. I don't know about you, but I saw his name just like, come out of nowhere and they were just suddenly just flying him up mock drafts into the first round even yeah no yeah michael pittman jr is a really electric talent and actually something interesting on the colts pick there chris ballard uh their gm has had his eye on pittman for a long time uh from usc right pittman's from yep um he chris ballard has, has been looking into pittman from what I've heard, up to a year ago. Colin Coward was was on last week saying that eight months ago, Ballard was texting him about Michael Pittman Jr. Um, I I agree with you that that was a terrific pick by the Colts. And then they followed it up with, I thought was a really another great pick. They picked uh, Jonathan Taylor, who was arguably the best running back in the draft. People think the LSU running back was a little over... It was a little of a reach to take him in the end of the first, but they also picked purely off need. So if they preferred uh, Bordeaux with their pick, that makes sense. Um, but he has all the tools to basically be an elite running back in the NFL. I mean, the only like light against him, they say, is that he like has a little case of fumbleitis. It seems like he he has a fumbling issue, which in the NFL is a little scary. But, you know, <laughs> when you're running back, I, the only thing I didn't kind of like about it is he kind of like Marlon Mack. So I'm, I'm wondering if they're kind of going to try to bump out Marlon Mack. But he's a very productive running back. Um, another thing that I thought that was pretty good was that this was their kind of like crowned achievement, I think. They got Jacob Eason on day three of the draft. And in a quarterback class that really was top heavy, I thought Eason showed a lot of promise in his first his one year, which was honestly his major slight was that he only had one year of film on him. But he really does have like NFL.com described him as what should be an inexperienced and should continue to develop from the pocket. But his poise is hard to find and handling exotic blitz packages isn't a given. They said that he's basically a pro-style, play-action-based quarterback, and he could basically be an average starter or backup, and they had his ceiling being Carson Palmer. But I, when I looked at the film, I did not see much Carson Palmer really out of Jacob Eason. But at the same time, it was a very good pick because I do not think Phillip Rivers in Indianapolis was a really good signing at all. So the quicker they could develop Eason, get him on the field, the better off they'll be. Yeah, it, I agree with you. Carson Palmer is a weird comparison for Jacob Eason. When I see him on tape, I kind of think more Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, he's. I don't like, know about you. He, he's just like a really big, big armed quarterback who just stands in the pocket and, and drops bombs downfield. And he's re, he's a really accurate thrower too. He's just tall. not all that fast. Yeah, he he's big. He's tall. He's not that mobile. So I I can see him working out. You know, because Ben Roethlisberger even though he isn't that mobile, he's really tough to take down in the pocket. And so that makes him still able to play in today's NFL. I could see Jacob Eason taking a similar route, especially because 
He's with a great team in the Colts. He can sit behind Phillip Rivers for the next year or two. Um, head coach Frank Reich does a great job with quarterbacks. So I kind of like the pick as well. I'm with you. All right, Kyle. Who do you got as one of your losers? All right. Big loser for me is the Houston Texans. No. <laughs> yes. What? <laughs> Bill O'Brien, since he took over the GM role pretty much before this season has been terrible. He's been terrible. <laughs> They're losers in the draft because first of all, they only had five draft picks. Let's start with that. Why was that Kyle? Because they traded them all away. It was so stupid. Okay. So <laughs> we're not just, we're not just going to consider the draft here. We're, we are, we're going to consider everything Bill O'Brien's done with Laramie Tunsil. He traded away two first round picks to get this left tackle. And because he traded away two first-round picks to get him, and he was on an expiring contract, Bill O'Brien lost all his leverage in contract negotiations. So he gave up two first-round picks and then just severely overpaid Laramie Tunsil. I think it was a three-year, $60 million contract where he's making 21 or 22 each year. That's fun. <laughs> it's a need on the team. It's new mask for Laramie, so... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he can afford plenty now, <laughs> but it just it makes very, very little sense from a football standpoint. And Bill O'Brien sacrificed not just two first round draft picks, but all his leverage. And that's particularly a problem right now for the Texans because Deshaun Watson's contract is coming up. Maybe if Bill O'Brien was a little bit more intelligent with how he um, acquired Laramie Tunsil. He would not have had to trade DeAndre Hopkins for salary cap reasons and because he wouldn't up. have given all his leverage away to Laramie Tunsil, <laughs> which is another issue, the DeAndre Hopkins trade that we all know about. I want to just compare the, the DeAndre Hopkins trade real quick to the Stefan Diggs trade from Minnesota, mm -hmm. because I think that that is a good comparison to show you how fleeced Bill O'Brien got. So Bill O'Brien traded away DeAndre Hopkins um, as well as a fourth round pick to get back a injury prone backup running back in David Johnson, as well as a second and fourth. So he pretty much acquired a second round pick in a backup injury prone running back. And they swapped fourth round picks for DeAndre Hopkins mm. from Arizona standpoint. It's it's highway robbery because Kenyon Drake is already their starter. And if you watch, you know, their their highlights from last season if you watch their games Kenyon drake was clearly the better runner he was clearly more explosive he clearly brought more to the offense so arizona did not lose very much and they got arguably the best wide receiver in football right now to pair with a young quarterback who who could really use that sort of help um whereas if you look at the stefan diggs trade from minnesota to buffalo buffalo had to give up a first round pick a fifth round pick, a sixth round pick, and a fourth round pick next year in order to get him. Yeah, not to which is a that the much, <laughs> much bigger return <laughs> there for Minnesota on their star receiver. And Stefan Diggs is an entire tier below DeAndre Hopkins. And then what do they do with that massive gap they had in wide receiver? Oh, let's trade for the wide receiver that has been traded four other times. Yes, for Brandon Cooks. Injury-prone Brandon Cooks, who I'm pretty sure is one concussion away from being in a coma. <laughs> right, to pair with injury-prone wide receiver Will Fuller on the other end, to pair with injury-prone running back David Johnson in the backfield. And it cemented just, by stud Kenny Stills. 
it just doesn't make sense, okay? It doesn't make sense. And what's really unfortunate as well is that Deshaun Watson will have even less help uh, next year. And last season, you know, obviously offensive line is a need, and they brought in Laramie Tunsil and overpaid him. Um, But still, Deshaun Watson was running for his life on half his dropbacks. And now losing DeAndre Hopkins, one of the best receivers in the league, it's only going to get harder for him. From a salary cap position, too, Houston's really screwed because, like I said, Deshaun Watson's contract is about to, you know, they're going to have to uh, form a new agreement with him. They picked up his fifth-year option that will extend after next season, but his day to get paid is coming. Houston's really only saving grace is that they're in the AFC South, and the AFC South is so bad that they may still be contenders and get into the playoff picture. But Houston did not have many draft picks. You know, I'll give them credit for for bolstering the the defensive line in round two and three, um, and also they made an interesting pick in the fifth round. They they took a wide receiver from Rhode Island, um, Isaiah Coulter, uh, who's six two, just under two hundred pounds, and, and runs a four four forty. Um, but you know, the NFL draft it's all a crapshoot. Who knows if any of these guys will be bust or if they'll make it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do know is that Houston had significantly less picks than the rest of the league. So the chances that they're going to get starters out of this are just lower. And they're in a difficult position with the salary cap and they traded away a lot of their talent. Um, you know, teams that are in a tough spot with the salary cap, shouldn't be trading away draft picks, just putting that out there. <laughs> so Houston is a big loser in my mind. Um, you know, not that they won't be able to win football games next year. Bill O'Brien's a good football coach. He's just an awful GM. Um, you know, I, I think we're looking at, at a, a reshuffle coming in Houston over the next few years because what they're doing right now is just not sustainable. Yeah, Bill O'Brien, great great player relations guy. Always has great, great views. Great player relations guy. Hit yeah, Matt Patricia, the pinnacle of player-coach relationships. Yeah, yeah. He's great with fans, too. He only yells at them, you know, every other game. <laughs> I'd like to see you block. The head coach. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so one of my losers is uh, the New England Patriots. So, basically, this is going to be a little bit of a monologue here. Uh, as a Pats oh, no. fan, I know what I should really have come to expect from Bill Belichick. Uh, at the same time, I was still pretty shocked. I, I should have expected the unexpected, and I didn't. I um, I was not shocked that we traded our first-round pick, which turned out to be Murray, the linebacker from Oklahoma. That would have been such a nice fit for the team. But more surprised that where we went super aggressive in the later rounds of the draft, after trading back in the initial part in the first round, we picked our first three picks on defense, which that is the most Belichick move ever, I have to say. But... This is where I feel like kind of a little bit of a clairvoyant guy over here. In the podcast I did with Ian about the first round, I was like, knowing the Pats, they're going to pick some safety from essentially the, the bumfuck nowhere, and they'll have him be their new safety, like what they did with Jordan Richards from Stanford, where everyone's like, uh, that was like a fourth-round safety. Yeah, well, we got Kyle Duggar now, uh, who is literally from – he's a small – School standout in D2, and he was the second safety taken off the board ahead of studs known as Antoine Winfield Jr. and Grand Delpit. So that was fun, especially when they're like, well, by the way, guys, he's a really good punt returner. (laughs) I'm like, oh, great. 
The safety we took in the second round is Cordero Patterson. That's fantastic. That fills a need. Yep, that's what we've been really itching for. Uh, then we trade up in the second round to get Josh Uche from Michigan, who I was like, okay, yeah, we definitely needed another pass rusher. And then Belichick could not stop without thinking, hey, wait a minute. Nick Saban said this linebacker was really good. So he took another Alabama linebacker because that makes sense because he loves those. He's like, you know, I hit with Dante, so I'm just basically on fire. And then this is where it really like was like I was I had to sit back and go like, what the hell is going on here? The two back-to-back tight ends was probably the biggest attempt of Bill Belichick trying to have lightning strike twice. He was like, yeah, we haven't picked back-to-back tight ends since Gronk and Hernandez. That went really well. And then, yeah, here's the thing. I'm not saying Devin Asiasi or Dalton Keene are going to be awful, but I would say it's better safe to sorry that they will not be Gronk or Hernandez 2.0 or even 1.5. Safe to say also, Justin Warsasser, that kicker who had a tattoo that uh, will not be – I'm not going to go into the details of it on the podcast as I don't feel like going into that level of uh, topics – I would just rather not talk about it, but that pick made sense. But, of course, it had to get ruined by him having a controversial tattoo that he is now removing. So, for that reason, the Patriots really just took a ton of question mark shots, which I I, I understood it at most points when uh, we were really good and we just were going for depth. But now that we're kind of hitting a little reset button here, I was expecting a little bit more sustainability in the picks. But with Bill, you never know. It's not like Bill's a draft profit or anything, but he definitely knows to keep you on your toes. Yeah, and and Bill Belichick has struck out a lot in the draft in recent years. Um, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily agree with you. I, I think the Patriots will be okay longer term. You know, a bigger loser for me, and this is my last one, it's the Green Bay Packers. Most obviously, um, we all know by this point that they traded up in the first round to draft Jordan Love. (laughs) And what's ironic is that this is the first skill position player on offense that the Packers have drafted in the first round in 15 years. And the last one that they did was Aaron Rodgers. So not only have they not been getting Aaron Rodgers any help to surround him with, but they effectively kind of just drafted his successor or the person who they want to be his successor. You know, Aaron Rodgers, last Thursday before the draft, he was on the Pat McAfee show. And, you know, Rodgers is a pretty passive-aggressive guy, but he said something like, yeah, you know, it would be cool if they, you know, draft you more wide receivers. Well, guess what, Aaron? They did it. They drafted the guy who's going to replace you. And they did it 15 years to the date that they drafted you to replace Brett Favre. Suck it. <laughs> but this, this, this isn't quite like the Brett Favre deal because Aaron Rodgers that year was supposed to be a really high draft pick and the reason why the Packers ended up selecting him in the first round is because he fell down the board and when he came to them you know they said Brett Favre's getting up there in age and this really great quarterback has fell to us so it makes a lot of sense that isn't what happened this year this year the Packers went out of their way to give up draft picks to trade up when they really it seems didn't need to to select this guy, to groom him, to be the successor. And there's just obviously a a lot of issues that are going to come up as a result of this. Aaron Rodgers is, 
you know, not the biggest team first guy on the planet. He is not happy right now. He's a close second, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he is a cl- yeah. <laughs> he is not happy right now, and I really worry about what this is going to mean for his relationship with Matt Lafleur. Um, you know, Rogers kind of more or less forced the old head coach Mike McCarthy out because he didn't like Mike McCarthy anymore. He didn't like the play calling. He and Mike McCarthy became a little bit estranged. And I think that the same thing's going to happen with Matt LaFleur here, especially because Matt LaFleur is pivoting the roster to play more like Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers do. They want to play much more of a power run game. They want to introduce new blocking schemes. And then they want the quarterback to complete short passes and, and you know, run play action. Um the issue with the Packers is that they have Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers offers a hell of a lot more than what Jimmy Garoppolo does. So the relationship between Matt LaFleur, the Packers organization, and Aaron Rodgers has just gotten very interesting. And to, you know, add more fuel to the fire for Aaron Rodgers, it's not like they were cashing in later in the second, third, and fourth round to get him help. No. In the second round, they drafted A.J. Dillon, who's a 250-pound bruiser at running back. Mm-hmm. I, I got to see him play um, because he's at Boston College. We're there in the ACC with Virginia Tech. I've gotten to see him play a bunch over the last few years. And, you know, A.J. Dillon's a good running back, but he's not much of a pass catcher. Um, you know, he, he's not going to be helping Rodgers out out of the backfield. You know, he's like LeGarrette Blunt. He's a bruiser, you know. Mm-hmm. He, he is someone who you bring in if you want to run a power run offense, which Matt LaFleur is transitioning to. Oh, yeah. Um, it's not subtle in the slightest. <laughs> it's not, it is not subtle what is happening there. And I think it's become very, very likely now that Aaron Rodgers may not retire with the Packers, that we may look back on this draft as what early 2017 was to the Patriots. For the Packers, where this is kind of the moment where the relationship began to unravel. And I just think at this point, the writing's on the wall. And, you know, I don't necessarily blame Green Bay for doing this. Aaron Rodgers hasn't been quite as elite the last few years as he used to be. In the last year, he was 11th in passing yards. He was 29th in completion percentage. He was 14th in QBR, you know. He threw 26 touchdown passes, which is good, but we've seen him perform a lot better. Um, part of that, certainly, is that Devontae Adams is his only elite weapon. But I think another part of that is that Matt LaFleur is trying to run a different system. And the Green Bay Packers right now have one of the best quarterbacks of this generation. So that just seems like too big of a confrontation that we're heading towards to not blow up. And I think the green Bay Packers have taken a very sharp turn as an organization this off season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to, I'm glad you said that other part about the Rogers numbers, but also look at the weapons he's had because they are um, not billboard players outside of Devonte Adams. They've all been p- project wide receivers like Geronimo Allison, Marquise Valdez-Scantling, and now Adam Lazard. If they have, like, one decent game, you see in all of the internet go like, oh, my God, Adam Lazard's Jordy Nelson. And you're just like, no, he's not. Yeah, it, yeah he's not. He is definitely not. And they're like, Rogers oh, man, is... Jimmy Graham. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Ro- Rogers is a really interesting case because who knows? 
maybe in a year or two years, he forces his way out with a trade. And there are a lot of teams, <coughs> Patriots, who would be really great with Aaron Rodgers as their quarterback. Imagine Bill Belichick and Rodgers teaming up. That'd be almost as good as Belichick anyways. Um, uh, uh, he who shall not be named. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> so, like, uh, sorry to keep the uh, Rodgers dialogue going for a sec, but um, yeah, the thing about Rodgers that I think is, like you just said, it, Bra- you compared it to the Brady-Pats relationship, and I'd say the only difference is Brady is known overall as a uh, a pretty good dude who would do whatever he really wants to win. Um, Rodgers, I don't, I don't think the narrative can be s- the same for him. He uh, He's a little prickly, as people have said. Um, he, they also think, I also very much believe that if he doesn't want to be there, he's not going to just be there to win. He know, I think Aaron Rodgers believes that he truly is the reason the Packers are who they are. It, there was no Brady-Belichick, which one is more uh, important than the other. No one's ever obviously when they got rid of McCarthy because of Rodgers, it was very evident who they thought was better, and that only makes Rodgers' ego that much more inflated. Not saying it's not deserved, but at the same time, I would expect this. To, I put up an Instagram poll that was like, "Will this last two years or less?" Or it's fine. I honestly should have just done, "Will this make it past this season?" Because this season could easily just be it. Yes, I I think Green Bay's a tinderbox. I, I agree with a lot of what you just said. I, I think that the writing is on the wall. Aaron Rodgers is, is not like Tom Brady. He is, like you said, he's a little bit difficult to get along with. He's pretty arrogant and condescending, um, you know, just personally with people. And, and that's that's an open secret, more or less. So I think this is bad for Green Bay. And, you know, I, I hope that they're right on Jordan Love because they took a very massive gamble in trading up to draft him. I, I do not feel like that gamble was worth it. I am on the record saying that Jordan Love is the definition of arm, but nothing else. Yeah, I don't I don't think that it's it's worth it either. I you know, Jordan Love has an amazing arm and you know, all things considered, if we actually step back, Jordan Love went to a pretty good situation for himself. Um, you know, this is something I actually wrote about on my blog before the draft, um, the big sports guy blog. Um, Jordan Love is like Patrick Mahomes and that wherever he goes, he will need to sit for at least a year. That to me is the Patrick Mahomes comparison, not, you know, all these other different traits that Jordan Love supposedly has. It's the fact that he needs to sit and learn because yes, the arm talent's there, but the decision-making is not. So all things considered, Jordan Love went to a team with a great offensive head coach, with a really good quarterback on the roster who he can learn from, even if, if they don't to. quite, even if they don't quite get along that well, he will learn from watching Aaron Rodgers' study habits. You know, ha, you know his workout habits, his diet. He will learn from those things. Um, so Jordan Love, I actually think, went to a situation where he could succeed. Not saying he will. No, I think he went to. A, I, I think. I yes, I think he went to an ideal situation for him to develop. But, yeah, there's a lot of arm talent and a lot of other stuff lacking. Um, the mobility, though, the size, the arm talent, you can't teach that. Mm. Yes. I, um, I'd i say the situation was ideal. The mentor, not at all ideal. 
It's not an yes, Alex it, Smith mentor situation where he's going to take it, you under his arm and be your best friend and be like, oh, yeah, I no. know you're going to take my job one day, but that's fine. I'm Alex Smith. No, <laughs> it's not that. No, uh, Aaron Rodgers is probably going to be a prick to Jordan Love, just like Brett Favre was to him all those years ago. Which is so, so. ironic because Alex Smith and Aaron Rodgers were in the same draft class. Alex Smith was the number one pick who never acted like it, and Aaron Rodgers was the 25th pick that never forgot not being the first pick. Exactly. I think that says a lot about both players. Speaking of Alex Smith, have you seen the ESPN (laughs) documentary that's coming out? Oh, have you seen the pictures pictures of his leg? Yeah, it looks juicy. Ooh, yeah. For for anyone listening, there's going to be a a special on ESPN coming out about Alex Smith's leg injury and his recovery. And ooh, I want to watch the pictures of his injured leg. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for it. But that man has been through hell. And the that idea guy. that he might step back on a football field again is is crazy. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's yeah. uh, finish up these losers so we can talk about the playoff format before we go. Um, go for it. I, my last loser is the Eagles. So <laughs> it's actually kind of funny. So if you're an Eagles fan, I'm sorry that you're going to hear this narrative. But uh, the Eagles were basically first tortured about losing out to CD Lamb to Dallas. So they were like, oh, because everyone – was thinking, oh, this would be great. The Eagles desperately need a wide receiver. Then they got to be mad as uh, with their first round pick after Dallas took them, their mortal rival, uh, they took Jalen Ragor in the first round over the more accoladed wide receiver being Justin Jefferson from LSU, which I also was just like, are you kidding me? Because Jalen Ragor, weirdly enough, reminds me of Nelson Aguilar, the very receiver they're basically going to use him to replace. And I don't know about you, but I was just dumbfounded by that pick. Yeah, I was too. I, I, you know, Eagles fans have a lot to complain about. You know, I actually don't hate the Jalen Hurts pick as much as other people do. But Jalen Rigor, yeah, it just didn't make much sense. I mean, the Eagles got so lucky that the draft board played out the way they did. I mean, I, I know they wanted CeeDee Lamb, but that wasn't realistic for Eagles fans to expect so him close. to be there at 21. So close. Dallas got him, though. Um, but yeah, with, to, to pass up on Justin Jefferson just didn't make that much sense to me, you know, and, and just in, in, from Justin Jefferson's perspective, he got taken with the very next pick and Minnesota was ecstatic that he fell to him. Oh yeah. You know, Justin Jefferson, I, I, I saw a very interesting PFF stat on him that last season in college, he had a 92.3% catch rate on contested targets, which was by far the highest in college football. I think he's a much more complete receiver, not saying that Jalen Rieger won't be successful. He, he very well may be. I don't know. But Justin <laughs> Jefferson, to pass up on him, I was really surprised by that. Yeah, it's a great thing you brought PFF for a sec because Jalen Ragor's PFF stat was horrifying. Jalen Ragor, the, he had a freshman quarterback throwing him the ball. His quarterback threw him the ball accurately 30% of the time. Yeah. Yikes. You know, I mean, for a team like the Eagles that had such an issue with dropped passes last year, I'm just not sure about the fit. Yes. I'm really not sure about the fit. And I know Eagles fans are definitely not sure about the pick. Yeah. I know Eagles fans are not happy about how the first round shook out. Well, I wasn't happy about how the second round turned out because let's be honest here. Hurts is the nail in the coffin for me for why this was such a bad draft. Carson Wentz had a terrible offensive cast outside of Ertz Goddard in the late rise of Miles Sanders last season. So they thought probably to themselves, how can they help him even further? Oh, let's get him Ragor. Okay, well, that was a little bit of like a 
throwing a dart on a board and hoping it sticks. All right, so now we'll get him a backup quarterback that he could play. They'll try to get cute with, so they could play a nice two quarterback system. I thought Hurts in general was not a great NFL quarterback prospect, and his game is just a little too simple to me. If you look at the film of Jalen Hurts, he basically this is what happens. He'll do his first read, and if his first read is not open, this is where he'll begin to panic, and he'll start using his athleticism more to make stuff happen. Also, not to mention. Wentz gets hurt because of bad O-line play. Why not use a second rounder on that? Or maybe get a half-decent linebacker. There are two major issues. They did use that towards the bottom half of the draft, but I would have liked it more if they used it more on the top end of the draft where there were better prospects on paper. With those wasting of the first two picks, in my eyes, that's what truly made them losers. Yeah, I mean, I I disagree a little bit on the Jalen Hurts pick. I actually like a lot of what he brings, right? Like, I, I think his mobility is actually a really good strength of his because the Eagles have said they're going to develop unique packages. They're going to get cute. But I do agree with you that is this really what the Eagles needed, you know, to fill on their roster? They have a lot of other issues. You know, I know that they brought in Darius Slay, but they still need help in the secondary. They lost Malcolm Jenkins. They 100% need more wide receivers, especially because their first round pick was Jalen Rigor. And not a wide receiver like Justin Jefferson, who is a much more sure thing with his hands. So I like Jalen Hurts as a player, I think a little bit more than you do. But besides the point, it just isn't a not that I should say it isn't a fit, but the Eagles have much more urgent needs. And the fact that Carson Wentz took that team last year to a division title in the playoffs. My God, get the guy more weapons, please. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not really an insult more to Hurts. It's more just like I would have liked this fit with Hurts on the Eagles if they didn't have their franchise quarterback already. Sure, sure. And and if they had addressed much more pressing needs before they took them too. Yeah, exactly. I think that's another factor in this as well. Yep. All right, uh, it's now time for the highly sought debate of the new NFL playoff format. So I'm just going to lay out the rules of what just happened for this playoff before we start. So – Basically, for those who don't know, the NFL has never adjusted its playoff format since about 2002. The new format will add one team to the playoff field for both the AFC and the NFC. This will allow it to be a 14-team playoff postseason, seven teams per conference, rather than the 12 prior team format. So only one team, the first seed, will now get a first-round bye. And those are basically the rules of what is about to happen. Kyle, I would like you to say why you like it first. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. So um, you're, in 2002, the NFL tweaked the playoffs, but more or less the NFL has had a 12 team playoff going back to 1990. Um, and really the only reason for the tweaks in 2002 were because the NFL expanded to its 32nd team by adding the Houston Texans. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so under this new uh, playoff structure on wild card weekend, there will now be six games. Um, the two seed will host the number seven. In each conference, the three seed will host the six, and the four seed will host the five. Um, And I actually like this new playoff structure for several different reasons. Um, One, now only one team gets the bye week. Um, But that doesn't necessarily change teams wanting to continue to jockey for a higher seed. Um, The number two seed, even though they'll now have to play on wild card weekend, if they win, that team's now guaranteed two home playoff games, which is an NFL team's financial dream to be able to host two uh, playoff games. They also still won't have to face the one seed until the conference championship if it should come to it. 
so I like the new formatting. I like only there being one team from each conference that gets a bye week. I also like the fact that it's going to add more competitive teams to the playoffs. I wrote a big blog piece today on the big sports guy blog. That's big with two eyes. Um, looking back over the last six years, who would have been in the playoffs if we were under this system and going all the way back to the 2014 season, every new team that would have been added has at least a 500 record and 10 of the 12 teams that would have been in the playoffs had winning records. So we're adding one extra competitive team from each conference with two extra playoff games overall for fans, because there's now going to be six playoff games on wild card weekend. And for the teams that are still winning their divisions and getting higher seeds, it makes more sense for them financially. I think it's a win-win. And most importantly, the NFL kept two really important aspects of their playoffs in place with this. The first is the winner-take-all format. You know, obviously, any football playoffs are going to be winner-take-all because of the nature of the sport. It's very violent. Players need time to recover. But that's what makes the NFL playoffs so special. I mean, that's why we all like Mark Madness, to be honest with you. It's that it's one and done. Any team can win on any given day, and you don't know what's going to happen, so you have to tune in. The NFL keeps that with this new playoff structure, obviously. And the NFL, secondly, keeps the exclusivity, which I think they've struck the right balance of, of all the major sports. So now with 14 teams getting in, the NFL lets 14 of their 32 franchises each year make the playoffs. That's just about 40% of teams making the playoffs. If you look at the other sporting leagues in this country, Major League Baseball only allows less than 30% of their teams into the playoffs. It's 8 of 30. And the NBA and NHL, on the other hand, allow over half their leagues into the playoffs. It's 16 out of 30 teams that get in. So the NFL, I think, has found the right balance. And I think expanding to two extra teams keeps that balance. You have to be in the top 40%-ish of the league to get in. So you have to be competitive. But yet, it's still exclusive. They're not letting in teams with losing records. You know, in the NBA in particular, the first rounds of the playoffs usually feel meaningless because the worst teams are going to lose to the better ones. In the NFL, with the one-game format, that isn't the case. And as we've seen over the last six years, it's going to be competitive teams that still get into the playoffs. So I really like it. I think it's, it's great for the NFL. It's great for fans. The part of the NFL playoffs that we love still exists. It's still really competitive. It's still one game, winner take all. And it's not going to decrease the quality of play because there are still going to be, for the most part, only teams with winning or at least 500 records getting in. So I like it. It will make the league more money. It will give more football for fans. It will give more fan bases hope each year. Um, and I'm excited to see it. Hopefully we have a football season next year and hopefully we see this new format. All right, <laughs> so are, we're gonna have some very uh, contract con contradictive overlapping points here. I uh, why do I believe that the format should have just stayed the same? It's quite simple. The two seed is getting absolutely destroyed in this because there are, has been said over and over that the most valuable thing a playoff team can have is this second round buy, this fir this first round buy. And it, it just doesn't make sense to me that the second team now just gets screwed out of it. Let's say they had the same record and it comes down to a tiebreaker difference. It's just, let's go over the past few years of the two seeds that have been in the playoff. The Patriots and Rams last year 
were both the two seed. They both needed that bye. They were both banged up going into the postseason, and this one week allows times for players to rest. And I feel like the teams should be rewarded by having the second-best record in their conference to get this one-week bye. Also, the Packers this year were the two-seed, and the Chiefs were also the two-seed this year. And this allowed for both of them to go, the Packers, to the NFC Championship game, and the Chiefs went to the Super Bowl. Uh, two And then in 2017, the Steelers were the two-seed, and they were eliminated. The Vikings went to the NFC Championship game. 2016 was Kansas City and Atlanta. Atlanta went to the Super Bowl. In 2015, Arizona went to the championship game. New England, championship game. If you're not noticing a trend here that's starting to occur, it's more likely than not that the one or two-seed is going to reach the Super Bowl. The one or two has reached the Super Bowl 71 times, while the other seeds have got there. 17 times for those who don't know this is basically why the nfl decided to do this format they only really cared about the money you can argue that it is going to be because they were competitive but the fact of the matter is if they were going to extend this league to seven teams you could say they're competitive but they're on the fringe of 500 they're like maybe one game above it or they're right there at it if they were for so since uh 2010 if they were to do this five 10 win teams would have made it nine nine win teams and six eight win teams and honestly it's like not like it's going to be seattle from a few like 10 years ago when they had tavares jackson and were seven nine that made it but at the same time i do believe the quality of the the seventh seed is not going to be even be remotely on the same level as the two seed and that's the matchup that's going to occur so you're just telling me right now that the two seed is going to be punished by playing a dumpster of the seventh seed by comparison i'm not saying like it would be more interesting to me if the six and seven seed duked it out and they played a separate game to get to be the seed that goes on to play the three seed it just doesn't simply make sense to me that we're punishing the two seed by just the nfl being like let's just try to take this cash cow and get more money out of it honestly it just seems a little selfish to me and i can tell you right now i don't think a lot of players are going to be huge fans, except for those who are on the seventh the seventh seed that are going to get their playoff bonus. So I just don't think it's that player friendly. I think on paper it should be a more competitive league, and but honestly, by adding another team, it makes it less competitive because now a whole new open slot is available to a team that otherwise probably should not have made it. I mean, when you look at the list, which you can easily find on the internet of the teams from 2019 to 2010. Very few of these teams, you were probably, if you looked back on them, be like, oh, yeah, they'd put up a good fight. There is going to be a case that three times this year, Pittsburgh or in 2012 or 2011, were 8-8, eight and eight, and they would have made their way in. And you cannot tell me that an 8-8 eight and eight team, even though it's a one-game series, would really lose to the second seed that often. I would say the percentage would probably be somewhere around a 95% chance the two seed would win. And you could play the one-game sports thing, but at the same time, I just truly believe it. Would, it's not going to lead to that much more excitement, and it's just more of a cash grab, which I personally am not that big of a fan of. Okay, so you're right about it being a cash grab. Obviously, that's why the NFL did this. But you're dead wrong about the competition. The year that the 7-9 and nine Seahawks got into the playoffs as the sixth seed, um, that was the year of the beast quake. Mm-hmm. So I said not every team is going to be like it. Without though. the 7-9 and nine Seahawks getting into the playoffs that year, who otherwise you would say would be a totally uncompetitive team who 95% of the time would have lost to the Saints, um, 
They didn't. They won in the first round, and we have one of the most iconic moments of the NFL of our lifetimes coming as a result. So to say that the seventh seed will be uncompetitive is just, I think, false. Um, all of the seven seeds, like I said, of the last six years are at least 500, which in most of them, 10 of, 10 of the 12 of them had winning records. To have a winning record in the NFL is really difficult. Um, not to mention that on top of all that, the two seed isn't getting punished as severely as you think. I agree it would be nice if the two seed still could retain a bye week. But if you're adding teams, it just doesn't work that way. You can't have two teams still get a bye week. So they got to play. It makes sense for two seeds, though, because getting to host a second home playoff game is so huge for an NFL team. Being able to host one NFL playoff game is a team's financial dream. But to host two home playoff games where you're going to sell all 80,000 seats at a huge premium, you get a massive TV rating, your brand grows exponentially because of it it just makes all the sense in the world and so i don't really mind that the two seed loses their bye week because it still means a lot of good things for them and yes this is about the nfl cashing out but it also gives fans two extra playoff games so you know what i'm okay with it and the other side of that coin is too that a lot of the money that will be made off of this goes to the players under the new CBA, players get 48% of the league's revenue. Could be 48.5% if some metrics are hit. But more importantly, the players get the majority of revenue from TV deals, which the playoffs are TV deal gold mines. So the players are actually getting a lot of the cash that's going to be generated from these two extra games. And as a fan, I like that. That's what I want to see. These guys shouldn't be getting more money because they're – seriously jeopardizing the health for the rest of their lives by playing this sport. So agree to disagree on this one. I'm really excited for the 17 playoffs. Yeah. I just want to clarify that. I don't think that the players should make less money. that's not where I'm really saying the issue is, but if you're telling me right now that you think that the eight and eight Pittsburgh Steelers from last year, were going to mosey on in and beat the chiefs. I think that that would just be the most uncompetitive playoff game we've seen in a really long time. No, but I think the 9-7 and seven L.A. Rams could have knocked off the two-seed Packers from last year. I think the Packers last year were one of the most overrated two-seeds I have seen in a long time. I think the New Orleans Saints actually should have gotten that two-seed, but because of some tie-breaking rules, they mm-hmm. didn't. Um, and I think the L.A. Rams, who were surging late last season and finally getting healthy, probably could have made a run at Green Bay. They probably could have been competitive. Yeah, I agree the Steelers might not have been because the Steelers had a ton of issues at the quarterback position last season. But that's just also a credit to Mike Tomlin for them still being an 8-8 eight eight team oh, despite yeah. all of that. I um, think it really just depends on – like you can't – like I guess the argument that we're basically getting to the point of is that not ever so like this rule is going to come in handy for some teams that are squeaking their way in because yes. there's always that case of a team that should, probably should have been in but didn't. But, like, just for that case, you can also argue that a team that's going to get their way in honestly wouldn't have deserved it because there's going to be some low-end teams that find their way in, and it's just going to be absolute demolishing. It might be, yeah. You know, I I agree with you that Pittsburgh would have lost to Kansas City. But that's also not the worst thing from Kansas City's perspective. Again, hosting a second home playoff game is massive i guess it would it have been the third home playoff game in the case of the chiefs 
this year since Baltimore, the one seed, lost in the divisional round. Yes. I mean, that is that is a goldmine for NFL franchises. And at the same time, yes, Kansas City's bye week helped, but we are going to a 17 format. And I think playing Pittsburgh in, in the wild card round wouldn't have hurt Kansas City all that much. They were playing really good football down the stretch last season, and they probably would have handled business. And coming from fans of two teams like you and I, being the Patriots and Broncos, that are probably going to compete for that seventh seed, I think towards the end of the season we're both just going to be like, yes, pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet, yeah. Well, that's that's also one of the things I was trying to get at, that more fan bases now get into the playoffs. So more fan bases have hope, and the winner-take-all format allows anyone to win on any given day. The Titans beat the GOAT in Foxborough. Yes. Yes, sorry to bring that one up. <laughs> it seems like there's a lot of attacks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, thanks again, Kyle, for being on. And um, I hope all is well with you and your family during this tough time. Thanks, Corey. Thanks for having me on. I hope everything's well with you, too. And, uh, you know, stay safe. Stay inside. We can get past this. We will get past it. And you can get past it by going on Big Sports Guys blog. Big with two eyes and big. Big Sports Guys. Big Sports Check it out. All right. Bye, Kyle. Thanks, Corey. Appreciate it. All right, so thanks again to Kyle for being on the podcast. Um, that was some great NFL talk. I mean, we got to just really ha- – it's always a sport that's really active right now with the draft coming out, so there's a- still a decent amount to talk about as compared to the rest. But as always, I hope you all are having a very safe time, and I hope to see you guys next week for more episodes of the Corey Walsh Podcast. Please like and subscribe.